Hi, I am Chitra. I am Madhvi. I am Jyoti. I am Patmaja. Together we are your hosts on the Edge podcast. We bring you stories and experiences from our experiments around learning, marketing and design. These are stories of people, technology and people interacting through technology of what we see, create and recommend. Sometimes your greatest strength can emerge as a weakness if the context changes. Is a quote by Harsha Bhogle, famously known as the voice of cricket. This shows how context matters. We make many decisions in our daily lives that are determined by context, both offline and online. In this episode, we talk about various situations where our brain combines the information it receives with other information at its disposal, including prior beliefs or expectations. Listen in to this song by Taylor Swift and see if you heard it all right. Got a long list of Starbucks lovers? Is that what she said? Uh, no, she she's got a long list of ex lovers. <laughs> nice. Okay, misheard lyrics always a thing with me. It's fun, right? To come into such situations, you probably just fill in a word that you cannot make out in a sentence with uh, any other word based on just the context, you know, and you may end up making your own lyrics and it leads to these funny situations. Absolutely. Your brain fills in information based on what it already knows. <laughs> and you know, I discovered this confusion. It, it has a name and it's called Mondegreen. Okay. Misheard lyrics or misrepresenting words in any situation like this is termed as Mondegreen. Interesting. I think we should use this term anytime we hear people speak in a different accent. Many a times you don't understand that accent. Better to ask. <laughs> yeah. So in today's episode of Rarely Rational, we continue to explore cognitive biases that affect memory and recall. So the context effect, like the previous example we talked about uh, where we make up lyrics, we must have come across situations where we respond to different situations based on the context in which it appeared. So context effect is a type of cognitive bias where a person's decision making or judgment is is influenced by the context in which information is presented to him. I think this is also related to the authority bias, right? Depending on where you get the information from, the value you attach to it, or the way you respond to it, making your decisions or whatever, is also changing. So that, I think, is related. What do you think? Yeah, that's an interesting thought. I didn't think of it before. Depending on where the information is coming from, if it is a place of authority, in an authority bias, right, there is more value put on it or uh, maybe there's more credit to that uh, piece of information that you receive in a way but I think in context effect there's a lot more to where the information is coming from it's also probably on how the same information can be influenced by different factors like location environment or the physical surrounding time and your past history in that environment or with that person you're talking to exactly yes your previous experience or your uh, prior knowledge that you already have all these would influence on how you would understand or make sense of the information that is given to you i want to mention this at this point Hmm? 
in Kannada we have this saying Shankadinda Bandre Tirta. Yeah. The meaning, the literal meaning of it is that only when water passes through the conch does it become holy water. Yes. But the significance is that only when information comes from certain sources is when it is treated in a certain way. Yeah, it's a great Kannada, what do you say, Gade? Yes, Gade problem. <laughs> Why do you think this happens though, Jyoti? Why are we filling in information even though we don't know, we're trying to fill in with something that we know? Why? I think uh, historically our brains rely on cognitive biases or these mental shortcuts to make it easy for ourselves to make sense of the wide variety of information that we consume on a daily basis. And one of the ways to do this is we seek patterns and we we make connections based on our uh, past experiences or the prior knowledge that we already have. The most important reason for context effect is that our brain is also highly sensitive to context information. That's interesting. It reminds me of these studies that claim that when you tell students that a certain set of problems are hard, your math problems or any exam, if you already tell them this is going to be hard, they're going in with the expectation that it is hard. And irrespective of how you have actually set the paper, they come out saying that yes, it was hard. You don't tell them anything. Their brain doesn't have any information. Mm -hmm. So they're just sensing it in the moment. And their reactions, the number of people who report it's hard is far lower. I think, yeah, these are everyday examples of how we make such decisions based on the environment, right? I can think of something like, say, when I'm trying to go to the gym, if I have to decide whether I want to go to the gym or not, I mostly rely on, say, whether I'm feeling motivated and energetic, am I in the mood to go to, and then I would definitely go. If I'm feeling tired or lazy and not in the mood, I would definitely not go. So here in uh, this case, my mood is kind of the context that is setting up for me going to the gym or not. I think we can come across almost every day very simple decisions that we make also influenced by the context in which we kind of are living in. Absolutely. This affects pretty much the user experience of any product, any place, any kind of new experience that you seek. So when you go to a foreign country, if that is your first time in that country, you may experience a bit of culture shock. I think this is a result of the context effect because your brain is used to a certain set of things done in a certain set of way and you're naturally bound to have a certain set of expectations. But the foreign culture may be completely different and that may throw you off. This is not about what is right or wrong. It is more about what you're used to and what is new to you. Yeah, that's a great example of culture shock. We might just be aware of a particular culture only say maybe because of TV or some pop culture but actually living it might be totally different. Absolutely. So make sure you market your experience in the best possible way so that you're priming your customers to expect the best experience. So talk about priming. That's actually the technical term that psychologists use to explain an individual's exposure to a particular kind of experience. And that is again in simple terms the past knowledge any individual has. So that is priming. Interesting. So if you want to learn certain skills, just keep on repeating, repeating, repeating so that it comes naturally. You're primed to make that like a almost an instinctual uh, response. Exactly. Yes. So Jyoti, what do you think? Is context effect a good thing or a bad thing? I think we've been talking about this in every other episode. Cognitive bias can never be just said whether it's good or bad, right? It's a bias for a reason. It's a mental shortcut. It makes our lives easy, yes. But it's definitely good to be aware of it. 
I think that's right. Another thing I would like to add here is if you remember the context, your memory of a whole lot of other things in that context is better. So that's a better way for you to encode information and improve your recall as well. Yes, what you mentioned is a great example of using context effect to remember uh, things or you know improve our uh, retention of our information. But do you think context effect can lead to errors in the way we judge absolutely i think sometimes we tend to attribute a lot of importance to who said something for instance i want to talk about this recent incident where amitabh bachchan became the brand ambassador for a pan masala company i am sure for him it may have just been another brand endorsement that he is doing he is endorsing many other brands as well it could have been purely business from his point of view but the public didn't see it that way lots of ngos lots of groups even at the national level contacted him reached out to him and asked him to withdraw this brand ambassadorship because they said this is going to influence the youth in a very wrong way i'm really glad that amitabh bachchan actually did withdraw and he's not endorsing pan masala brands we do tend to attribute a lot of things to our heroes whether they're bollywood or any other film industry or any kind of celebrities whom we look up to and try to emulate them that is the context effect at play and if they do something negative they are influencing us and they're normalizing that negative thing for us so there's a higher chance of us following them on the negative path as well so that is one of the very strong negatives that this bias can give in our lives i i think that's a great example of brands place their messaging and by whom the message is actually coming from definitely would influence people into getting into a certain say habit or buying a service or a product oh it also reminds me of we see variations in stock market just by say a simple tweet uh, of a influential person absolutely elon musk mr elon musk are you listening <laughs> elon musk's tweets have influenced the stock markets they have changed the stock prices drastically without any of the underlying factors of that company changing just because it's coming from him people have reacted to things differently you get a similar response if there is a very popular stock broker who releases a piece of news a negative piece of review or any negative news associated with that company will start reflecting on the stock market as well people don't actually bother to check if that negativity is real or it was just a rumor but they will still they will still attribute a lot of importance to that negative news this actually affects us in a lot of other ways as well right like negative reviews there may be one dissatisfied customer of one hospital or a restaurant that one or two negative reviews bring down the entire rating of the service provider yeah Uh, but i think um you, you do have a positive side to this if if say uh, the way the stock is presented uh, or you know the information of the stock is presented with its potential risks and drawbacks the person who is actually making the decision may be able to make a better decision uh keeping in context both you know the um, the ups and the downs of it So if a person is trying to decide whether to invest in a certain stock I think fintech companies will definitely play a role in the way they lay the foundation or give the context around the stock right uh, say for example you just 
giving presenting only the drawbacks of that particular stock and most definitely the user or you know or the customer would just decide against buying the stock or the opposite might happen where you probably are just telling the good about the stock and he might go all in and buy the stock but i think the right way to do would be to lay the context in such a way that you present both the ups and the downs and then let the customer decide based on the context that fits him absolutely what you said about balancing out the good and bad is really great jyoti i think all of us struggle with this and this ends up affecting the kind of ai ml models that we develop there are biases in the data the biases may reflect what's happening in the real world but you don't want a biased robot or a biased service for instance in the us there were studies earlier where they determined that certain uh, crime prediction software it had unusually high number of predictions for people of certain races versus the white caucasian males why do you think this is it's maybe a bias from the data that has happened it may be a systemic bias that's been in existence for decades also maybe and the ai ml models were trained on this whereas if you presented the train if you trained your model using a more unbiased dataset the model predictions would be probably very different and you have to remember that a lot of the times we are not we are not hard coding certain parameters that the model uses it is learned so in this kind of uh, supervised or even unsupervised learning it's very essential for you to be able to present both the good and the bad and the neutral so that your model knows with what probability is a certain event likely to occur what are the really distinctive features that it needs to focus on versus just go with the existing bias and perpetuate it to an even greater extent because now we tend to attribute a lot more value to these machine predictions i, I think it's a great example that you brought out ai and ml talking about say uh, how modern computing technologies are becoming more and more aware context aware the recent hit you know the chat gpt by open ai is a great example to uh, talk about how ai machines are becoming more contextually aware and trying to bridge that human uh, computer conversations so i think we're in this kind of a gray area of uh, talking about whether uh, yeah, how context can affect us you know it's not good uh, i mean you can't say it's a bad thing or you can't say it's a great thing but context here is the king <laughs> yeah i like what you just said there context is king nice i think another gray area which actually may be positive gray in the sense of the ethical aspects is how doctors sometimes use the placebo effect while treating their patients the outcome in some cases is great the patient believes that they are being treated and they recover and in some cases it does nothing but ethically what do you think <laughs> context is king <laughs> thank you for that <laughs> so in our learning products we use the comic strip storytelling style of imparting or teaching a concept which takes the learner through a journey in a way that the learner can identify himself with the characters who represent the current state of the learner and the future better version of the learner uh, setting up a context in this way in our learning products has made the experience for the learner more memorable yeah i think our uh, numbers show that it's really worked for us continuing what you started out jyoti it has been shown that people recall things better in the same location or depending on the context in which they were taught that concept so our storytelling approach works because they are introducing these concepts at those moments so it's directly applicable and you don't have to put in the extra work of figuring out 
I learned this concept at some point of time and now I need to use this in a completely different context. That will work, but this is quicker because you have learned it along with the context. Mentioning location, I remember reading about something called we live in the age of context mm -hmm. and uh, apparently there are certain forces that have given rise to this kind of context-driven technologies. And those forces are, one is mobile, social media, location and data. So this was a new term for me. This generation of uh, more and more personalized technology is giving rise to the era of, you know, the age of context. With the proliferation of mobile phones and the easy access to data, I think we are falling more and more under the influence of factors that we don't really know. For instance, search algorithms influence our thought. Suppose you're a student trying to figure out what is the good and bad of different careers or trying to understand what is a potential career for you to seek. And you go out and you Google software engineer. I actually did this experiment. And out of the top 15 pictures, I saw only one female. The majority of them were different males in different work environment settings and a few of them just showed different code. Out of 15 pictures, there's only one representing a female. This is completely influencing an untrained uh, user saying that software engineering is a field where women are in the minority. And I'm not sure that was intentional messaging, but it is affecting susceptible brains in that way. Incidentally, I also went on the same Google and I searched for gender ratio in IT industry in India. According to the current numbers of the which companies, have you heard this term? Which is short for Wipro, Infosys, TCS, and HCL Tech, very similar to the FANG companies in the US. <laughs> I learned this also fairly recently. So according to the stats from these which companies, one third of their employees in tech are women, whereas Google Images is showing me just 7%. So there's already a disconnect between what the data is reflecting to us versus the real data. Talking about search algorithms and gender ratio and these kind of uh, facts and figures, uh, we're all dealing with data. But when I have to talk about something abstract like say a piece of artwork, I think we have to talk about perception. In this sense, uh, how you perceive an artwork. You, you might have a fixed value, a market value for the artwork, the physical artwork, but uh, the way it is perceived is probably depends on where it is displayed. For example, artworks presented in museums are apparently much higher than when they are just presented in some you know boring laboratory. I think this is why marketers always have this tussle of where their products should be displayed within the store. If it's up front and center then people think it's one of the fast moving ones. So you are telling, you are signaling to people that this is a fast moving product just by the placement. Whereas if it is like snuck in some remote corner of your store where people hardly walk around, although it is the most valuable thing, maybe the sales drop. Yeah, I came across a term of how marketers use something called an attractiveness effect in how they place their products so that customers are driven into buying something based on the things or the products that are kept around it. And marketers also use something called the similarity effect. That is how they arrange products in a group and products are perceived to be either of higher value or lower value just based on simple arrangement. Interesting. So the moral of the story for me is that when we are taking a group picture, I want to go stand next to the most attractive person. <laughs> Let's look at 
how context effect influences our user experience of different products. Uh, definitely. I recently read an article which was called Flavors of Context. It provided this kind of a framework for approaching context-driven design. So these modern context-aware design systems have enabled us to think beyond just location and time as context. We have to keep in mind device, the activity, the environment we are in and whether it is influencing individual or social behaviors. So these are something called the flavors of context. That's very interesting. One example I can think of here is the way people use different signatures. So they may have a really long signature when they respond from their web client, whereas when they send it from their phone, it will say send from smartphone, iPhone, Android, whatever. And the way people perceive that message is also different. So people are ready to ignore spelling mistakes or like short messages without the pleasantries if it comes from a smartphone versus that is expected without knowing that they're responding from a smartphone. Yeah, that's a fantastic example. I think it shows how uh, these small user experiences are invisible but are so useful to us. You spoke about context. So I also like the way these apps determine your sleep quality. It's basically just determining how much of motion or that's happening while you have set your phone on the sleep mode. I think that's the activity flavor that we're talking about. Nice. And talking about activity, I think now we have a range of smartphones which detect whether uh, we are running or cycling or doing any other kind of workout. So that's another uh, context-driven design system that I could probably think of. Auto-detection of workouts. Yeah. Another thing is how you get these ads about these local stores when you're in a place, irrespective of where your SIM is from or which is your native or your, uh, which is the town you, that you live in. Though this is called geo-targeting. Marketeers are using this actively, trying to figure out where you are and giving you context-aware ads so that it's something that you can act on. If you are in Bangalore and I show you an ad about something in New York City, it's probably not going to be interesting to the vast majority of people. Again, then uh, we just covered uh, the flavor of location. Talking about device as one of the flavors, the user is accessing a mobile app on a smartphone while they are on the go. Uh, The design of the app changes to something like a car mode. For example, Spotify has this uh, feature uh, or even the Google Maps has the feature of uh, switching to a car mode which gives fewer options so that it doesn't distract the driver. Absolutely. Jyoti, you mentioned social flavor is also one way that context effect comes into play. The example I can think of for this is how some hotels, if you see in their bathrooms, they will have this post saying that X, X percentage of guests in this hotel have been reusing their towels. This is a way for them to promote uh, more mindful consumption, to promote saving water, also to make sure their operating costs are low. But it does have an impact on the environment, how much laundry they have to do. What studies have shown is that Instead of putting this message with the exact same set of intents, if they presented the message differently and worded it something like, X number of guests in this hotel have been reusing their towels without requesting fresh linen the next day. That does not have the impact because you don't know how big this X is. It's the same even if they say you save some Y liters of water because you don't know how much of a dent that is. Mm -hmm. So the context of what is the value of this impact that you're going to have is what changes your behavior. Although the messaging and the intents are the same. That's a fantastic example. Also kind of driving some kind of change in social behavior. 
I think there are two things that influence behavior in this case. One is that your choices are simple. You put the towel down so that it gets picked up for wash or you hang it up to dry so that the staff don't touch it. The simplicity of the choices as well as making sure what the impact is, the way it is conveyed. The second thing is what they projected to you was normal. They normalized you reusing your towel. Your tendency is to stick to the normal behavior. The same thing has been observed in other contexts as well. A very famous incident is the research work and the consequences of this research by Professor Dan Ariely from Duke University. He was tasked with finding out why organ donors, why registered organ donors in certain countries were more than the registered organ donors in countries with very similar social attitudes. What he found in his research was that in all these cases, the countries got the registrations when people were applying for their driving licenses. What some countries did was they had a checkbox where it said, yes, I am the organ donor and check this box if, I don't, if you don't want to be an organ donor. Whereas the other countries had the default option being check this box if you want to be an organ donor. Now, depending on what was the default, people just let the default be. So the countries that had the first case where organ donation was the default, they tended to have more people registered as donors versus the other where organ donation was not normalized. It was you, it was perceived as something that you're doing out of the norm. This is a great example. In fact, there's another bias called the default effect. Okay. <laughs> and uh, I think this completely also, you know, fits there to show how uh, sticking to the default choice is another uh, mental shortcut that majority of us <laughs> use. In design, if you're designing a system, I think it makes sense for us to make sure that the defaults are checked and you at least cater to 80% of your uh, audience or your users versus making sure you cater to everybody. I think that's the 80-20 rule at play. Um, did you mention Dan Ariely? He has written a fantastic book called Predictably Irrational. Is that how we got the name Rarely Rational? Must be. I was kind of influenced by that book too, <laughs> to an extent. What's the name of that bias that influenced you? <laughs> <laughs> Something yeah. for us to go research. Yeah, I was primed into <laughs> thinking that way. Nice. Talking about rational choices, I think uh, Swiggy does a great job in helping me make uh, rational choices while ordering food. Um, for example, you know, if you've seen the prompts that you keep getting by Swiggy to order certain food that or which are similar to the ones that you've already ordered. This is an example for adaptive experiences or uh, products or apps making it easy for you by setting the context uh, to something that you have uh, already been exposed to. Just like Swiggy is giving you prompts and making and influencing your decisions. If you are conducting a user research, you ask your participants leading questions, you may not get the real answer. You may be unconsciously biasing them to give you an answer in the way that you expect. If you really want to know what's going on in their minds while doing user research, the better option is to have open-ended questions. Don't set the context for them. Let them tell you where they are coming from because that's what you would want to know as a user researcher. Whether you're doing this online, offline, whether you're doing this as a survey or as a phone call, a live conversation basically, this does come into picture. So context effect seems so natural or so common in our everyday examples like we've been talking about. What do you think we can do to overcome this bias? I have a few ideas. One way you can do is 
go seek out new sources of information so that you are not biased by the biases in the sources. You basically trying to negate any biases that get automatically built into your sources. The other way is go seek out new experiences so that you change where you are coming from. You change the base knowledge that you have, your base expectations. All of those change when you subject yourself to new experiences. Because memory plays a huge component in context effect. Recently we did a design thinking seminar. The subject matter expert there, what she said was very interesting to me. She said avoid picking the least worst solution that everyone will agree to. What basically she's talking about is groupthink. So somebody says something and the entire group is now influenced. The first idea maybe everybody who just wants to jump at it because they want to head out for their lunch, coffee, whatever. But that's not the way decision you get the best decision making. So consider all alternatives and be aware that you may be biased to certain things. Try to substantiate that with data. It's one way you can be aware and make better decisions. All of this boils down to getting your hands dirty, getting uncomfortable and seeking answers to questions and seeking second opinions on strong beliefs that you hold. So we've seen that how context matters. Talking about how companies use the context effect to their advantage in a way how they position their products in the right places to the right audiences. Otherwise, the products might not be valued correctly. Uh, research has shown that people ranking uh, television commercials are good or bad based on the enjoyment levels of the shows that they've been watching. Similarly, ads that appear on internet are appealing based on the website that they are in. On the flip side, if you are a blogger, you want to control what kind of ads get shown because if bad ads are shown, then the value of your blog goes down. This is about the influence that different brands have. But it's the same way when a company is going out and seeking different influencers or brand ambassadors. They need to find somebody whose personal values align with them so that the person can authentically represent their brand as well as somebody who is perceived to have the right kind of image in the minds of their consumers so that the consumers carry over their liking for this celebrity or this influencer into your brands. Like the Amitabh Bachchan example that we spoke about earlier. Yep. If you're, deliver, if you're delivering some kind of a training or a webinar, you might want to tweak your material to the audience. Depending on who you are speaking to, you might want to change the way you share the same message. Are you talking about design thinking with a bunch of CXOs? Or are you talking about design thinking with just a bunch of fresh grads? The kind of examples you use in these cases would also vary. Another thing is depending on how you are delivering your talk or your webinar, the tools you use can also vary. I might want to poll my audience and get a sense of what they think about a certain question that I have. If I'm using Zoom, maybe I can use Zoom's features. If I'm just doing it over a, a platform that just has video and chat, I might ask people to give me their opinions in the chat box. Just say one, two, three, four or something of that sort. Or I might just pause my speaking and ask them, unmute yourself and speak. These are all different ways of you adapting to the scenario that you are in. If you're doing this in a live classroom setting, you might just say show of hands. So context effect comes into play. Do not use the same format in your training, in your webinar. Make sure you're aware of what is the expectation and what tools you have at your disposal so you can 
tweak it with to the best possible way you mentioned a great example of zoom i think they have definitely kept the context of virtual communication in mind and done a fantastic job of uh, adapting the same experience uh, in the virtual space absolutely that's why the importance of zoom has zoomed in our lives uh, earlier we spoke about something called the age of context that we are ushering in and a computer scientist named uh, mark weiser brought in this concept of ubiquitous computing uh, that is having computing technologies in our lives part of our everyday life and he stresses upon the fact that the usability of these technologies or these devices have to be so easy that it almost disappears from our sight so in his words he says the most profound technologies are those that disappear uh, they weave themselves into the fabric of everyday life until they are indistinguishable from it I think smartphones have done that now. <laughs> On that note, this is the final episode in the third series of Rarely Rational talking about cognitive biases that affect memory and recall. We'll be back with another set of episodes. Until then, stay rational. subscribe to the edge podcast on your favorite podcast channel we are on google itunes spotify stitcher and more if you like this episode please share it with your friends if you have stories to share and want to be featured on our podcast write to us at podcasts@adepticlabs.com at